disagree, Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky. My guest name is Brig, and it's the last show of the year. Wow. Yeah. We there is December, of course, but uh I'm taking I'm taking December off because I'm moving and I've got end of the year stuff to do. So yeah, we are just closing it out. We couldn't make it easy for ourselves. We're talking about nineteen eighty nine. Stoked. Yes. Uh it, it's been a while, but you know, uh, there's there's the classic tradition of me getting a little tipsy when you're on the show. Uh, so what I'm I good. <laughs> we got it. We can't prepare it. Absolutely. What I have here is a Sir Charles hard cider with uh, strawberry. This was given to me by my friend Cody, and it's been in my fridge for like four months. <laughs> How about you? Delicious. I have a um, a Guinness extra stout celebrating my my heritage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Irish. Um, Very nice. It's my second favorite, but you know. Yeah, I uh, my my uh, Cody, who's been on the show, is uh, is a real cider guy. So whenever I have him over, he'll bring some kind of cider for me to try. I've noticed cider is a big thing in Philly. Yeah, this is a local uh, brand, and um, bad cider in Philly. Mm, yeah, I uh, there, there's a lot I haven't tried, but. Uh, I'm I'm getting into it. I guess I'm learning I'm learning all the different types there are. So, uh, before we get into 1989, we have our news segment. Dun 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 dun. dun what's popping? Uh, and there's some relevant stuff in the news. First of all, it's Spotify Rap Day, as we're recording this. It's a moment every year where people come together, um, and they share what they listen to, and they sort of laugh at whatever weird shit Spotify does. Um, I, I, I believe I did see your, your wrapped, but do you want to go over it for everyone? <laughs> it's, um, I just, it's really cancelable. Sure. Um. <laughs> you don't have to. I mean, if you really don't want to. I, uh, no, I will. I will. I'll mm-hmm. own it. But, um, many a person was like, were like, this is so fucked up. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Sure. Yeah. Anyways. My most listened to artists were in order: Kanye West, mm-hmm. um, Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. Drake, mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. I don't think either of them are very cancelable. Sure, um, Drake is cancelable, but it, yeah, yeah, it's Drake. Uh, and then the nineteen seventy five, who obviously were. Uh, yeah, you're playing all sides. <laughs> you're really uh, just... <laughs> yeah. I really it from all sides, you know, I had people making fun of me. I had people upset about the Taylor. There are people upset about the Kai. You know, it's um, yeah, and people who like I, I also... kind of all beef with each other in a way. They're all on slightly different. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I really thought Kanye's been. This is the uh, seventh year now. Mm-hmm. So I guess every time that Spotify rap has, has existed, yeah. Kanye has been my number one artist. And I thought he would be dethroned. This year I really did. I thought I listened to more Taylor than Kanye. You're getting um, there. <laughs> I'm in the top 0.05% of listeners this year. Well, it's a living. I was mildly surprised by my raps. Um, I guess I felt like this year there wasn't a lot of like music music that came out that i was like i need to listen to this again until like pretty late in the year so um you know lately i've been listening to a couple new things that have like, gone into my rotation but for most of the year i think it was mostly just like me checking stuff out um my number one artist was babytron 
which 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 took me by surprise but it's understandable because i do listen to a lot of babytron and he's put out like four albums this year <laughs> so like yeah that makes that makes sense, yeah. And um, Carly Rae Jepsen has never not been in my five. Uh, <laughs> she was she was number one at least two years running, and then she was dethroned, I think, by 100 Gex uh, initially, but she's never left the five, and I don't think she ever will. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then other than that, Wayne was my number two. Uh, Carly was three. Um, I'm trying to remember what number four was. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it real quick, but number five was definitely Fallout Boy, which is mostly because we've done multiple podcast episodes about Fallout Boy this year. Uh, my number four was Danger Mouse, which, Peace. you know, makes sense because there's a couple of different artists that he works with, you know. And what um, was your most listened to song? My most, my most listened to song, another one that took me by surprise, and I think it was just something that, like, because the song was Keep Going Up, which is Timbaland with Nelly Furtado and Justin Timberlake, came out, like, a month or two ago, and I think, I, I do these monthly playlists, and I think that was one of those songs where I just kept going back to it, like, do I like this? <laughs> <laughs> that's how it ended up on my five uh, my number one i guess justin timberlake definitely someone who i would have had to answer for if he was in my five but also someone who is not impossible for him to be in my five yeah just kind of a weird <laughs> just, i i was i was surprised by what ended up on there and again i think it's because a lot of my music listening happened in like the past month when the weren't being counted so the other thing that's in the news is that taylor swift in response to being the top artist in the world this year on Spotify Wrapped, uh, released a song. She released uh, a, a, a what was once a CD exclusive track for Midnight's uh, You're Losing Me on, on, on streaming. And uh, I don't have many thoughts on it. I think it's pretty good. Uh, I don't really like the Midnight's aesthetic. I find it really boring. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a decent song. Yeah, same thoughts. I just hope that I'm trying to make a joke about Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you think Travis will affect the sound of Taylor's music? Like if, if she made a Travis Kelsey influenced album. <laughs> what would I don't even know. We don't even know. I think it would depend on if she like what I would really love is how on Dear John. Mm. He's very petty. with mm. like doing the John Arifs. I think it'd be cool if she put like the sounds of men tackling each other just like that's cool into into a song um personally one of my favorite sounds in the world uh (laughs) i think that would rock i mean i think travis kelsey has that like white boy thinks he's black thing going on so you could definitely see another attempt at at a hip-hop album which i recently learned reputation was Mm -hmm. that was really jarring for me i know that that was her trying to rap but yeah we love her yeah, <laughs> I like the, I like I like the songs on that where she's trying. We'll do a whole Reputation episode, I'm sure. I like the songs on that where she's trying yes. to rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like yeah. the pop songs on it. <laughs> oh my god, no. Yeah, I, I I think you know there's so little we know about Travis Kelsey. I uh, I mean we know a lot of his old tweets, which are very good. We know that he likes Electric Feels, so maybe that'll <laughs> that'll get in there. 
Um, I, I saw a tweet that was like, Travis Kelsey is living every comedian's dream of everyone just looking through your old tweets and talking about how funny they are. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. If only every comedian could have... If only we lived in such a world. Com- yes. Exactly. That many bangers. Um, but we're talking Taylor Swift, and we're talking 1989. And um, as always, I have extensive notes, but uh, what is your history with 1989? What is my history with 1989? It has always been the album that I've been on the fence about. Mm. Um, it is definitely Fed was the peak of my Swifty era. Mm-hmm. And I did not like Shake It Off. Mm-hmm. However old I was when this came out. Um, and I think largely it's because my sister, who was younger, at the, who was like six maybe at the time, maybe older, um, made a parody of the, of the song about baking. Mm-hmm. And I think that it drove me so crazy that I just couldn't appreciate it but it's been one of those it's also been one a lot like lover that's just like really surprised me mm-hmm. like i thought i really hated it and yeah. there's some songs that are literally my favorite uh yeah. that are like, like she had some of the songs on here yeah um you get the girl i know places clean like those are some of my favorite taylor songs and this love was my um my surprise song when i saw her in philly so oh, wow It'll always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, uh, that, that's interesting. It sort of speaks to the the different areas where people started to confront Taylor Swift. Because I feel like for me, I liked, you know, I was like 10 years old or whatever when Taylor Swift started blowing up. Um, no, exactly. So, you know, I liked some of the singles. I liked You Belong With Me. I liked um, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. I didn't dig into, like, the album cuts at that time. I didn't really take her as an artist much. And 1989, I feel like maybe not when it was coming out, but, like, the year or two after that, when it started to have this big, like, critical reclamation, that was when I really started to think seriously about Taylor Swift. Like... By the time Reputation came out, I think I was really thinking about Taylor Swift as an artist. And I know by that point, I thought of 1989 as this very, as this great pop album. And that's, and really before 1989, I, I didn't really think of her much at all. So I, I think 1989 yeah. was sort of my inflection point. Um, and there are always things that I haven't liked that are on the album, but, uh, I, I I tend to p- put it in like on, on like a very high level in in Taylor's catalog. Maybe that's changed today after listening to it again. Uh, we'll we'll get into it. I think there are. I think it's messier than than I remembered. Uh, but really, every, like until you get to like folklore, every Taylor album is messy. <laughs> like like that's yeah, just part of it. Exactly. It's not, I think the thing that's um, kind of. I mean, well a lot but the thing that's frustrating with blank space is that you have i think you're you're right that this is when you think about taylor as an artist this is the one where it's like oh like she's doing pop music Mm -hmm. and like she's really really good at it but it's unpolished and it's really young Mm -hmm. but also represents a point of her maturing and yeah she's not doing country music so the re-record really struggles with like you don't get what you get with fearless and speak now where it's like this is a 30 some odd year old woman singing 19 year old songs. You don't get like, you don't get that. But the fact that it's not more polished 
that yeah. it doesn't have that like like because Midnight's as much as like it's like weird and like should just be a Bleachers album, it's very polished, mm-hmm. very clear. Mm-hmm. And this, I feel, it, I feel it's like it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I already said on the La La Land episode that I thought the the Taylor's version of 1989 is a disaster, and we'll definitely get into that. <laughs> Um, great but it's interesting because 1989 was like a a big sort of maturation for taylor uh for the most part but there's still a lot of that kind of theatricality like you have shake it off but you also mm-hmm. have on songs like blank space even you you have that like she she's getting into character she's being very dramatic and you know the we we she's doing a very consistent sound with these uh, re-recordings. She's like, this is modern Taylor. This is that Jack Antonoff sound. This is me mature and a little airier in my delivery and all that. And it, it, I, I think the bad parts of 1989 are improved by that, but the best parts of 1989 are sort of destroyed by it. Yes. yes. So let's, let's get into the, the history of this album. Sure. So in the year 1989, Taylor Swift was born. Uh, it was also a time, uh, a, bi- a bit of a transitory time in pop music. You had rock becoming less relevant. A lot of the ma- big acts were like these sort of ridiculous glam rock acts like uh, Warrant and Poison doing these ballads that, that weren't taken very seriously. And the big names were people like Millie Vanilli and Paul Abdul and New Kids on the Block. You had these New Jack Swing R&B sounds really taking over the the charts. This was also the year that DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince were the first rap act to win a Grammy. They boycotted the ceremony. Because when Taylor talks about this album being called 1989, part of it is that it's like a rebirth and it's the year she was born. But part of it is she's doing this 80s sound. And as we'll get into, she's using all these 80s synths and all that. So it's important to consider the context of what 1989 was. On October 22nd, 2012, Taylor released her fourth studio album, Red. Uh, it was the album where she was like starting to lean into being more of a pop star than a country star, but also sort of like there was more maturity in the more country rocky songs on that project. But she was also like doing the big pop songs with like Max Martin and having these huge hits. It was like it was like her biggest hit up to that point, her biggest critical hit, her biggest commercial hit. Broke records. It broke like country records, and that kind of pissed people off because it, you know, got these pop singles on it. And Taylor's not that much of a country artist at this point. Um, and a lot of the media coverage had to do with her relationships. She was seeing Harry Styles at the time. She had broken up with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, a lot of the talk around the album uh came from that and i need to take a second here because i think we might have some uh breaking news (laughs) uh henry kissinger is dead (laughs) (laughs) what a time it is how old was he he was 100 years old (laughs) the stars of a line baby we're wow yeah, if we weren't already in a good mood, uh, <laughs> I feel like by the time this comes out, it'll already come to pass. But I feel like legacy media and like you know the centrists, like like NBC type people, are not ready for how much celebration there's going to be <laughs> of of I Henry Kissinger no dying. It's it's gonna be wild. That's wonderful. We love to see it. 
So Taylor was upset that the media was only interested in her relationships, and also she moved to New York, and these the stars kind of aligned. She was like, "Let me do the pop thing. <laughs> let me let me take a new direction. Try to change my image." Got she was got inspired by some eighties acts like Annie Lennox and Peter Gabriel. Liked a lot of those synth sounds, a lot of those atmospheric uh, elements of eighties pop music. And she kind of agreed, I think, with the, the sentiment of, of some red detractors. She said in an interview, at a certain point, if you chase two rabbits, you lose them both, referring to like trying to be country and pop. Did the country album, she did the pop album, Big Machine, her label is still, her then label is still a country label. And they're like, you need to give us like three country songs on this. She's like, no. She worked extensively with Max Martin, who had done her pop songs on the previous record. Also, obviously, maybe the most successful pop producer of the 21st century, had had 25 number one hits, worked on almost any song on the record. She's called him the co-executive producer. Uh, and the other key figure is Jack Antonoff, who had worked with Taylor once before on the on the song Sweeter Than Fiction from the soundtrack to the film One Chance, starring James Corden, uh, a movie that does not exist. They, they had met at the EMAs in 2012. At this, at this time, Jack wasn't really known as a pop producer. Uh, 1989 is sort of the start of that era that, where, he, where he like starts to become a pop producer. I actually prepared a little mini-game about that, if you're interested. It's called... Uh, it's a little holiday game. It's called Do They Know It's Jack Antonoff. Uh, I have 10 songs listed, uh, and I wonder if you could try to guess whether or not they're Jack Antonoff songs. Oh, I would definitely play that. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, we're going to start off with an easy one. Cruel Summer, Taylor Swift. Oh, it's Jack Antonoff. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Number two, We Are Young, Fun. Jack Antonoff. Of course. Of course it is. Number three, Cut to the Feeling, Carly Rae Jepsen. I feel like it's not. That's right. Jack Antonoff did work on Want You In My Room and one or two other Kylie Rae songs, but not Cut to the Feeling. Number four, Pills, St. Vincent. That Jack Antonoff. Yes, it is. <laughs> You're doing great. You, you've got, you've got a, a perfect score so far. Number five, Closer, Tegan and Sarah. Oh, shit. I know he's worked with Tegan and Sarah. And I'm going to say, yeah, Jack Antonoff. That's not Jack no. Antonoff. <laughs> Jack Antonoff produced. He produced. How come you don't want me from the same album that he didn't do closer? Of course. He <laughs> Baby boy, Kevin Abstract. No. Yep. Did he? Yep. <laughs> it ain't easy. That's, that's too good to be true. <laughs> I I was like, there's no way. He's all over oh. that album. I'm a Kevin Abstract fanatic. He's great, uh, especially that album, man. That's a really good one. Fucking rocks, like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Gaslighter, The Chicks. I'm gonna go, yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh. I believe you've got uh, one, two, three, four, five. You got five out of seven so far, and there's three more to go. Five out of seven? All right. Want Want, Maggie Rogers. Yes. No. <laughs> it has, it has sound on it, it, it does he has not actually worked with maggie rogers that's criminal it's gotta happen they need to fix <laughs> number okay this is the ninth out of ten you've gotten uh five right still delicate okay. taylor swift yeah no <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's a tricky one he did six songs on reputation but delicate was not one of them 
It's 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 crazy because that that's like the most Jack Antonoff song on that album. That's insane. All right, this is the last one. You've got five out of nine so far. Brave Sarah Bareilles. Really hate that song. Okay. I'm gonna go yes though. That's right. <laughs> you got it. Brave was actually uh, his first like hit as a songwriter, like 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 the first like pop song that he wrote, basically. Wow. Wow, how far he's come. How far he's come. I love that song. I hate it at times, but when when I found that out, I was I started listening to it. I listened to it like three times in a day. Yeah, it's I am I'm like maybe I need to give it a second chance. <laughs> yeah. Because when you're in the right mood, it's it'll hit. Yeah. I think par- yeah. I think part of it is that like Roar by Katy Perry is such a ripoff of it and so much worse. I think that sort of elevates it for me. <laughs> in in my head they've blended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to revisit it. Play them back to back. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Jack extensively used the Juno Six synthesizer on this album. I found out some interesting stuff about what synths they use. It was all kind of cool. Uh, the Juno Six was used on a lot of '80s dance music, um, also on some pop hits like "Take on Me" and "Time After Time." It's an interesting thing, because I think when a lot of people do the 80s thing now, they're just like, oh, throw some synths on it and have it be this BPM, whatever. But it's interesting to see that they actually, like, use the synths of the era. Yes. Uh, she also reached out to some other songwriters. Uh, she would take these concepts that she had and bring them to pop artists like Ryan Tedder of One Republic for I Know Places and and another one, um, and then Imogen Heap for Clean. The first single was Shake It Off was a, a, a big cultural phenomenon obviously uh had uh, a lot of controversy around the video that we can get into and um it was the the promotion for this album had a lot to do with her touring and the friends that she would bring with her on the tour a lot of stuff about the squad <laughs> which i feel like was it was an interesting moment of like because again, before this, a lot of the meat press around Taylor was about like her love life. And that was sort of an interesting shift of her being like, let's talk about my friends. Talk about my friends. Let's talk about my girls. Gigi Hadid, Selena Gomez, Carly Kloss, Cara Delevingne, uh, dozens of others. It's Carly Kloss, infamously Taylor Swift's bestie. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, uh, we talk about how pivotal this album is. That's where i mean there were gaylers before that but that's the moment where like the gayler subculture that's the <laughs> develops that's when it was like wait a minute yeah yeah and it's also yeah. like again this is really like the the dividing line of taylor's career like if you look at by reputation it's all about you know her reputation it's like she you know she's playing this character she's like she's a snake and she just thinks about revenge and all this she talks about her reputation on this uh on, on, on this album and it's like i stay out too late <laughs> there's there's like a, a, a clear dividing line yes <laughs> yes so that takes us into the album the first song is welcome to new york um this is a song that i liked so much and one of the only songs that i liked so much better this time around. Interesting. I think the production, I think the production is weird. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of it that like, really, I just like dislike. I think maybe because admittedly I am a Gaylor. And I think that I had this listening of, you know, maybe New York is her like being gay. And I think that obviously when I was like a child listening to this, I was not 
on the Gaylor train. And mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of, I hadn't thought about it. I was just like, this is a dumb fucking song about going to New York. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I had a, a duly appreciated. Sure. There definitely is that one line. For it, it has the one line. Mm-hmm. Girls like girls, boys like boys are the other way around. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting because I think as I was going through this track by track, I listened to Welcome to New York and I'm like, eh, you know, it's kind of basic. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, just lyrically, there's not much going on there. But um, yeah. as I, by the time I got to the end of the album, I started looking back on like the really 80s parts of the album. And I really like how this one is really infused with that sound. Um, the synth they used that I was able to find out. Ryan Tedder, uh, co-wrote and co-produced this by the way um he used a juno 106 another synth that was popular in the 80s never gonna give you up uses it among many others you know i sort of look back on it and i'm like that had that really strong 80s vibe that i think some of the later tracks on the album don't yes yeah yeah but uh there's there's a little bit of lore around this song too because again there's the idea that it's it's the first song where she mentions gay people (laughs) and so that's sort of a that's just something that people turn to i mean you think about how apolitical taylor was before this point you know part of this era was her like announcing herself as a feminist which was a very popular thing for pop stars to do in 2014 what a time it was such a moment Mm -hmm. there was the whole thing where like they made her a new york tourism ambassador because of this song and people got upset because she's not from new york crazy wild that's time. crazy wild time but yeah i like i like the authentic 80s-ness of this song i think it uh it works it works as an intro i think as a song on its own not yeah. that deep whatever but it, it gets you into the mood of the album it makes you feel like okay like i'm listening to 1989 mm-hmm. and there's something really exciting about that yeah and then right into, in some senses, the biggest hit of Taylor's career, her most streamed song on Spotify to this day, Blank Space. I have always felt towards Blank Space, like, that it's a, it's a, it's a solid pop song. Mm. Um, I think the lyrics are like, there's this sarcasm there, right, that like is there, but at the end of the day, it has, it's never really drawn me in enough to be like, oh, she's really doing something with this. Mm, interesting i feel like for me blank space exemplifies like sort of the thing that i find most interesting in taylor's music which is when she like gets really into a character and does that sort of gets in her like amanda palmer bag a little bit like um we were talking about midnights earlier and i think uh, there are a few songs that i find very memorable on that album but i like anti-hero for how it kind of does that same thing as I like, I love the last verse about like, you know, she's laughing up, up at us from hell. <laughs> like That's, yeah, that's like, the kind of thing I like to see in Taylor. And I feel like you get that on blank space a lot. And I never, I'm never mad when blank space comes on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I've ever skipped it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think I've ever gone out of my way to put it on either. Yeah. I, I, I feel that. I feel that for sure. I mean, I hear it so much that I sort of don't need to, you know? Exactly. It's going to be on. You go into an old lady, it's going to be on. Like, yeah. it's going to be, it's a, it's a popular Taylor Swift song. Mm-hmm. And it's decent. It's good. Yeah, I, I, I think I have a lot of appreciation for it. But I, I, I see how it's not one to, like, you know, be someone's Taylor Swift song. Someone, <laughs> if you're, like, a fan. I mean, I think there's also a thing of, like, if you're like, oh, I'm really into Taylor Swift, and someone's like, oh, what's your favorite Taylor Swift song? And you say Blank Space. 
Yeah. Like the good song, it can't be your favorite song because yeah, it's like you're a noob. It's like you know? when I say my favorite Radiohead song is "Creep." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it sort of speaks for itself. I do like the, I do like the pen click, the I got a blank space, baby, yeah. and I'll write your name. That part's cool. Oh. I, I don't know. I mean, it's blank space. There's, there's not much more to say it's about it. It's blank space. Um, yeah. Uh, kind of on a similar note to what you're saying. The next track is Style, and uh, I think it's certainly her best produced song, and probably her best song. Yes, I do strongly agree there. Style is the song. I'm not like a pop listener, Mm -hmm. because for a really long time I just didn't get it. And then I listened to Style, and I was like, oh, this is pop. Yeah. Like it's do it does something. It's not just like pop. It's like it really does something. I think it's I think it's exceptional. Yeah. For me it's in the same it's it's on the same shelf as like Into You from Ariana Grande or um yeah. some of the Carly Rae Jepsen songs, like just those like really like this is what pop can be, you know? The 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 level of exactly. emotion is so is so deep. Yeah. Yeah, I have literally nothing but love for it. This was one of the last songs written for the album. Uh, the beat was actually, it, it was made by uh, Ali Payami, who produced it with Max Martin and Shellback uh, and and um, Nicholas Lungfeld, who's like the, who plays the guitar on it. They were kind of making it for themselves. Um, and then Taylor heard it because she was showing it to Max, because Ali was showing it to Max Martin and Taylor was like, oh, I got to get on this. But yeah, I feel like that guitar is so integral to it. <laughs> you know, like the especially when it gets into the chorus, it's like <laughs> that is all I have been doing in my free time <laughs> since the re-record came out. It's trying to play that on the guitar because it just rocks. It's so like, good. it just rocks. <laughs> and there's so yeah. many. There's so many great um, vocal parts to it. I feel like the. Uh, you know, obviously, the just take me home over the end. I like in terms of the lyrics, the uh, when she's like, I say, I heard that you've been out and about with some other girl. And then it like segues into the, the bridge where it's like, he says it. it I, I it, It's a great song. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so it's it's just like this is this is a pop song. And it's it's a platonic ideal of a pop song. Yeah, totally. I, I'm so glad we're on the same page. The next track is Out of the Woods. Jack Antonoff on this one. Her her first release, uh, well, well, other than the James Corden song with Jack Antonoff, um, and the synth on this one, the main one is a Yamaha DX7, which was another big one in the '80s. It was used on hits like Danger Zone. I think it's also on Take on Me. Uh, this is sort of the first moment in the album where we're seeing like a little more storytelling. I like there are moments of that on the other songs, but this is the first one that's a little like. I mean, the the Jack Antonoff tracks on this are all like more storytelling stuff and that so so becomes what taylor's direction is as time goes on yeah and you get the whole theory about her and harry styles true vehicular manslaughter the 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 snowmobile accident (laughs) i love this song i really love this song Mm. um i think uh the bridge is is up there for me sure um well, well, her bridges are so good, especially like like especially on this album. But she's so good at like making a bridge. She's excellent at it. Yeah, I really, really love this song. I got rid of it when I decided to be 
an adult, but I used to have a massive tapestry with the um, doctor from Webkin's mm-hmm. on it. And it said 20 stitches in a hospital room. Wow. Um, <laughs> which I which rocks. I wish I still had it. That's great. At least it, it at least if just for this, but I, yeah, I, I'm obsessed with it. It's um, definitely one of the first songs that got me to give 1989 a second look mm. um, in my, like my Swifty Renaissance. Yeah. I'd say it, it's, it's not a personal favorite of mine, but it does have this very epic feel and this like, yes, I sort of, I, I sort of think it's of a piece with all too well in, in the way that it's like reflecting, you know, there's sort yes. of that same bitter kind of nostalgia. Yes. Precisely. I definitely feel like when I think of what what when I try to think of like what is 1989, that's often like the, the like the like the art, the out yes. of the woods hook is often the first thing that comes to my mind. Yes, absolutely. The fifth track is "All You Had to Do Was Stay," the first non-hit on the album. <laughs> the you know you know it's it, it's you know it's a great pop album when you have to get this deep before you're like oh this song I don't think about that much. Yeah, I, and that's really all. I don't think about it that much. Mm-hmm. I think the production on the re-record is uh, not great, but it also like isn't really. It does it. It takes a it takes a fine song and it's still fine. Sure. Um, I, I think some of them were made to stand out because of how different the production is this time around. Yeah. And even the ones where I'm like, I hate the sound here. At least it stands out. Yeah, I feel that. I I think even the original version of this song, I think, feels kind of dated production-wise. Like, you know, this is like late 2014, but it feels more like 2010 a little bit. Yes, it's, um, yeah, parts of it feel very lazy. Yeah. Good bridge, though. You can always, you you know the bridge is gonna be good. The bridge is fire. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you wish it, you wish, I wish you wrote it for a movie. Yeah. You know? I think it, it could be, I don't know where. Yeah, yeah. Maybe in bottoms. Like, like the way she hits stay on the chorus is very like... Exactly. Like put it in a rom-com and I think it would be a show people love. A song people loved. Yeah. Speaking of hits, next one, Shake It Off. Uh, you've already sort of given your thoughts on Shake It Off a little bit. I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those ones where like, like Blank Space, I feel strongly neutral mm. about... Shake it off. I personally feel neutrally towards, but I, I would never knock it. Sure. Like shake it off. Like it. It. it I think it could be a lot better. I, I think the rap is kind of cute. Mm-hmm. I remember really before my sister wrote her song "Bake It Off." I remember <laughs> really liking it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have this this relationship to it. Sure. Sure. It's personal for you. Exactly. You know, as I said, we've done a couple Fallout Boy episodes this year, and when we did the one on American Beauty, American Psycho, we talked about centuries. And when we got to it, we were like, "There's a lot of things we don't like about this song, but there's something undeniable about it too." There's something. I mean, and I think the century comparison, centuries comparison, is a good one mm-hmm. um, because I mean, Taylor Swift obviously wasn't doing drugs, but centuries for me, I was like, "Oh, Fallout Boy isn't doing drugs anymore." Mm-hmm. and bigger <laughs> way is like step into the mainstream and shake it off it does feel like every every radio station wanted to be playing it like it was on at all the school dances like it was like a thing and i i think that it, it did that for for taylor's career in a way that blank space did in a way that style did but 
differently, I think, because of all the things that I find most kind of, like, annoying about it. I think Shake It Off was, like, you know, the first Taylor Swift song to, to like, be the moment. Yeah, and, and she'd had huge hits before yes. that, but that was, like, Shake It Off was yes. the only thing people were talking about for, like, a month. Or Shake It Off and you're transported to a place and, like, it is, it was the song. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a first for her. It was a big deal. This is a joke. I mean, Family Guy has made this observation, but the the the, the self-proclaimed sick beat is actually pretty mild. It's horrible. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's really just like not even really a different beat. Like they just like add a little drum. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I was praying that um, in the in the re-record she would uh, put Kendrick on there as well. Mm-hmm. Or it's, I mean, we'll get to that blood momentarily. It's like, I, I sort of respect it because it's like, uh, it's like DeBaby on Bop when he says he's going to switch the flow up and then he doesn't. And then he just doesn't. It, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. Um, it, it really, it makes me cringe, but in the way that like I cringe at my mom. Sure. Like, it's like, oh, it's really cute that you're trying this. Yeah, I think with Blank Space, there's still a bit of distance because it's kind of still all over the radio. With Shake It Off, enough time has passed that like you can put it on and just just enjoy it and yeah exactly exactly next track's another jack antonoff joint i wish you would more storytelling more like better songwriting than a lot of the other tracks on this album um bringing the 80s vibes back after a couple songs that didn't really sound like the 80s i listened to 1989 several times like in a row in september and i was like oh this is kind of good Mm-hmm. And I also listened to her little um, her little recordings about making the songs mm-hmm. at the end of 1989. And I really enjoyed listening to her talk about her process making I Wish You Would. Sure. Um, and so, I mean, it's not, it's not like, it's not one of my favorite songs on the album. I love when she tells a story. I think she does, like, this walk so Betty could run. Sure. You know, it's cool. I, I think seeing her start to do that emily dickinson next thing of like oh i'm writing from the perspective of a male true, true. it's interesting it's cool it's going to happen i don't know i feel like when i was listening to the album i was like yeah whatever this is kind of a pedestrian track i'm not going to remember but now i'm thinking back to it and i'm like you know that was pretty good i think it's a good like album cut to like add texture to repeat to 1989 you know mm-hmm. and i feel like it's one of those songs where if you're you're on a hawk's Someone's like, I want to listen to Taylor Swift. And you've exhausted, like, you've played all the hits. Mm-hmm. It's one you're going to put on and people are going to be like, wait, what? But then they're going to get really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that there's 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 a value in that, when especially when you have someone whose music is, like, so... Like, this could blow up on TikTok tomorrow and, and be a hit song. Yes! Yes! <laughs> no, exactly. It has exactly. the potential. Yeah. The the next track is Bad Blood, and I have a note here that I took while I was listening that just says, Bad Blood, more like bad song. <laughs> yeah. No, I really hate this song. It's kind of wild just how, like, poorly made it is. Like, like by this point in the album, we've, we like, style, we've talked about it, it's like the platonic ideal of a pop song. We know Taylor Swift is one of the most capable pop, like, song makers and and I think I, Max Martin was on this too. Like like, there's no reason for it to be as sloppy and poorly written as it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is like 
it, you have to you be like, oh, they were trying to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were just like they they did that because they were trying to do something. Yeah, and then you record it, mm-hmm. and it's still bad. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and even like there's so many things about its place in the album where it kills any like narrative or emotional flow up to this point. And it's like, you know, in the in her feminist era, she has this song about how she's mad at Katy Perry for like for like poaching her dancers. Like it's it's insane. Oh, it's so unnecessary, especially because it, it like as you said, it starts delving into a storytelling territory. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have it, I wish you would. Wildest dreams, how you get the girl, this love, I know places, clean wonderland, like boom. That's a narrative arc. Yeah. What the fuck is Black- Bad Blood doing? <laughs> yeah. And I remember what a moment it was when the Bad Blood video dropped. It dropped during the Billboard oh. Music Awards, which no one would have watched otherwise. And I remember watching it because everyone was talking about the video. It was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have a list of all the people who were featured in the video here. Uh, Taylor Swift, Kendrick Lamar, Selena Gomez, Lena Dunham, Haley Steinfeld, Soraya, Gigi Hadid, Ellie Golding, Martha Hunt, Cara Delevingne, Zendaya, Haley Williams, Lily Aldridge, Carly Kloss, Jessica Alba, Mariska Hargitay, Ellen Pompeo, and Sydney Cro- Cindy Crawford. It's crazy, and I think the thing about the music video that gets me is that she does what she did with me, or you need to calm down. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to calm down, she put, like, every gay person. True. In a music video. Yeah, that's why she put every woman she knew. <laughs> she just was like, oh, like, who are women? Yeah, because, you know, there, there's the whole squad narrative and this idea, like, all her friends were getting together, and there's this idea, like, who's in the squad, who's in the video, but then it's like, there, there's all these 50-year-olds, it's like Mariska Hargitay is in there, like, what, what's the, the connective yeah. tissue? I mean, even, like, I guess Lena Dunham was relevant at the time. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What is Lena Dunham doing in it? And then, and then Kendrick Lamar is there, and I do really like the version with Kendrick Lamar. But I think that's just like it made I like like I like having my two friends in one place. Like it's nice. Totally, it was a cool moment, and it was it was nice to see Kendrick like elevate to that like pop level. It's it, it's sort of funny, and I think the production's just a little more interesting on that on that remix version. There's a little more like hip hop elements in there. Um... But it's funny how Kendrick so like phoned in those verses, and then for for yeah. for the Taylor's version, he was like, "Let me go do it again." <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And I think it was a big thing for her too totally. to be able to have Kendrick on the record. Like, it's like, oh, I think I think it I think it said a good thing about her. Yeah, you know what it is though. We did um, the Fall Out Boy remix album, "Make America Psycho Again," on, on on the podcast recently. I'm sorry to keep bringing up Fall Out Boy, but they, you know, there's connective tissue there. Um, the thing with that record is it's all these hip hop remixes of their songs, and it's in this era where they're putting less effort into their songwriting. So, you know, they're doing songs like "Centuries," and when you strip out the the rock than the busy kind of production and you're just hearing the vocals it just leaves you to like sit there like is this song any good and that's what bad blood is like like every time you get to the chorus like everything drops out and you're just hearing this like really clumsy uh, (laughs) it's so bizarre and it doesn't have lyrics that you just like blank space welcome to new york style shake it off have all at least had lyrics that like like, I was at Cobby Hole for Taylor Swift night over mm-hmm. the summer. Mm-hmm. And 
each of those came on. And it was like, even the most pretentious, I only listen to Boy Genius, Dyke in the Bar, <laughs> like, was gonna sing along. Right. To those songs, because they're good, they're lyrically good, and you can't help it. Bad Blood, I, I don't know the words, even though, I mean, I do, but I don't, even though I've listened to it a million times. Yeah, it, like, you because tr- it just you- isn't. You try to sing it, and when you get to the bad blood, you're just like, there's no way that's right. (laughs) What is happening? Why? And and, yeah. And I think it's really, I think it's really, really bad that they got to re-record this, and it still sucks. Like, that is really, like... What what they should have done is, like, completely changed it, but they can't do that on the Taylor's versions, because they're, they're like, a business proposition. Like, they just have to make them as similar as possible. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, after that, we get into Wildest Dreams. The song rocks my world. Okay. This was like my song when I was 14. Totally. I, I was obsessed with it. And it doesn't hold up for me as much now, mm. but I think it's really fun. I love when she says no one has to know what we do and then proceeds to give every single detail. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's awesome of her. That's I funny. think that is so t- yeah, I, I think there was, like, the criticism of it at the time was that it, you know, sounded like a Lana Del Rey song, like she was trying to do the Lana Del Rey thing. And I think you can definitely reflect on it now and be like, yeah, this is someone who doesn't have, like, the vocal maturity of Lana Del Rey kind of trying to do yes. something in that same ballpark. Yes. But I like, yes. I, I like yeah. the, again, those authentic 80s synth sounds, I think, I think are good on here. Um, it's definitely a memorable one. Another one where there, where people said the video was racist, uh, and it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing about Wildest Dreams, based on my fairly surface level research, is that it, it's never officially been said who it's about, and there's, there seems to be sort of debates about like people say it's about Harry. People say it's about Douglas Booth. Uh, people say it's about Alexander Skarsgård. That was interesting to me because most of the songs on this album, it's like, yeah, this is about Harry or whatever. Yes, you can, you can see it. This also falls into, I guess I have a lot of things with my sister on 1989, but when I was explaining Taylorism to my sister, she was like, well, then what good songs by Taylor are straight? Mm. And I said, Wildest Dreams. <laughs> that is a very straight Taylor song. True. Yeah, kind of decent. I don't know. I, it's it's not a favorite of mine, but uh, it definitely has, like, it, it's very memorable. It wasn't, like, the biggest hit on this album, it's but very like, it's unforgettable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. After that is How You Get the Girl. I love this song. Okay. I really don't know why, because it's, like, so fucking cool like there it's so corny but i think that's why i love it Mm -hmm. i think it's so fun i i think again with the like starting to dip her toe towards the male perspective thing Mm -hmm. it's just a a fun and cool thing and i also think it's it's like an awesome it's an awesome sentiment Mm. i think like being in a shitty relationship where it's like it it actually is like so simple Mm -hmm. and like you're not like like all this is literally all you have to do Totally. Um, and I, I think it rocks. I don't think it's like 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 production wise, musically or even lyrically. I don't think it's it's anywhere near the top of her songs. But there's something about it that I that I just really do love. 
Yeah, I think for me, similar to All You Had to Do Was Stay, there's something kind of dated about the, the production on it. It feels very, like, early 10s pop. Um, but I do like the concept of the song a lot, too. I like the little acoustic guitar part over the bridge. I feel like this song and Wildest Dreams or... I don't know. I have the note here that I listened to it and I was like, it feels like it's the same drums that I've been hearing for the last couple songs. The drums do get very repetitive, I think, especially with Taylor's version. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially with Taylor's version. It's just like, okay, this is the thing we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like the, the sentiment of how you get the girl, but I feel like if this was from, like, an album or two ago... I would appreciate it more, and on 1989, it feels like a, a little bit of a step down for me. Yes, it could feel so advanced for a red mm-hmm. for Speak Now, Taylor. Totally. It could feel like, oh, whoa, but <laughs> instead it's like, yeah. And then we get the ballad, This Love, the only song on this album where Taylor's the only writer. Yeah, and I feel like it shows. I mean, Taylor, she's written a lot of her music and a lot of her, and, it, and it's good, but I think this love is good. This love is bad. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay. Like, <laughs> but there are parts of it that are really pretty. Um, I think that I really paid, I paid no attention to this song until it was my surprise song. Mm. Um, era is like, I really hadn't thought about it before. I think if there were any context for me, really hearing the song for the first time, other than me, like at the era's tour, like with my girlfriend, like, happy i would have really hated it i think like but it's like one of those songs where i'm just like oh like yeah like love it's nice yeah uh, i i feel like taylor has a lot of songs like this so it, it doesn't really like stand out in her catalog that much but i do yes exactly it is lovely and i think there's something nice about i you know she's do she's playing with these 80s sounds and she does like the you know 80s synth pop thing a lot but on this one i like the way that the synths add atmosphere to like the acoustic driven ballad totally and I, the guitar that's going on is, is really beautiful totally it's a it's a very pretty song yeah it's pretty <laughs> next is i know places with ryan tedder once again um this one more than any other song on the album i was thinking about things that it sounded like like I did, like the I I, I the, the first note I had was the intro is giving Demi Lovato and then I thought this is two one Republic and then I was like it sounds like a song from the Hunger Games like it it feels of its time. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very in its time. Um, I really love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally got got really into it when I heard the recording she sent Ryan Tenner just of the the bones of it mm-hmm. like of her just like like playing it on the piano and uh, i was like shit i think it i think it rocks sure i love when she tells a story i really yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I i feel like this is another song where she really brings out the uh theatricality the way she says all the damn time and the like <laughs> you know they it definitely like it's a fun song i think in some ways it like doesn't work the way that some of the best songs on this album like really come together but it i i have a lot of fun with it yeah exactly and of course the bridge and the last and the outro are, are great that's just you, you can't give her points every time she does <laughs> it's it's amazing mm-hmm. like like it's just always like, the bridge yeah always gonna bridge totally after that we have the last track on the original like non-deluxe version of the album clean 
uh, co-written and co-produced by Imogen Heap, which which I think we'll get into it. You know, it's a good song. I think Imogen Heap is a really smart choice for someone to collaborate with because she's someone who is doing that like Enya Phil Collins kind of like 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 she has, she's a unique kind of tether to a certain side of eighties yes. pop music. Yes, I love the the Enya thing. Mm-hmm. It's not all the way there, but there's there's an Enya ness. Totally. Almost. The, the production on, on, on this is like definitely the most like experimental and interesting on the album. Exactly. She does, she does something truly interesting, which is, I think, if for a big critique of the album, especially listening to the re record, it's that she like flirts with doing the 80s thing, but doesn't do it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And this is one where it's like she really does, instead of just imitating 80s pop. Yeah. It's like this is Taylor with making an 80s pop song yeah i think it's a great song apparently it was inspired by her going to london for like two weeks and realizing she didn't think of an ex presumably harry interesting yeah and then of course as as we know she loves a london boy <laughs> exactly it's a good track i think by this point it's like the end of the the, the like original version of the album and it's like it, you know it's a messier album than than I tend to think of it as. I tend to think of it like, you know, I feel like the conventional wisdom has for for so long among critics at least was like this is the best Taylor album, and now she's too big to make an album this good again. And you know, I I think right. this idea developed that like it's this it's this little like perfectly packaged like pop like lightning in a bottle thing, and you listen to it, and there there is it is all over the place a lot of the time. There are a lot of things that like kind of work or feel out of place she's in this very in-between stage again of like her being kind of a, a teen star and then being more of an adult pop star like it, 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 it's yeah. it's not clean ironically <laughs> it is not clean sometimes that's what's fun about it yeah after that we have yeah. the bonus tracks that were on the original album wonderland is the first mm-hmm. one definitely more of an experiment playing with these like steel drums and doing this very theatrical vocal thing. I can see why it didn't make the album personally. <laughs> I can see why it wasn't on the original. I am in it for the lore. Okay. And that is it. Okay. What's the lore? I think it's a great song, but the lore is that Taylor releases this song, Diana Agron, mm-hmm. huge Alice in Wonderland fan. Mm. Diana Agron gets an Alice in Wonderland tattoo removed within a couple weeks of the song being <laughs> I think that that is just like crazy lesbian shit. Sure. Like that or like even if they weren't like like girlfriends, even if it was just like your close relation, like nothing screams crazy girl like that. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Totally. I think the song itself, yeah, fine. But like the the lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's great. We we we're not afraid to go there on this podcast. Uh, after that is You Are In Love, uh, another Jack Antonoff track, another more experimental one where you can kind of, I, I, you, which you're, t- we're talking about songs on this album. She's starting to play with perspective. This one definitely feels like a prototype for a lot of what she does on like folklore and her post folklore stuff. The fact that it's about Jack Antonoff and Lena Dunham, that she's sort of just outside observing someone else's relationship. <laughs> Another one where I'm just like in it for the lore. <laughs> um, it's up there with what with Emma when Emma falls in love being about Emma Stone and Karen Cole. Like what? The- yeah, 
And then Jack Antonoff and Lena Dunham, that ties into the whole conspiracy theory that he cheated on her with Lord. Yes. There, there's all kinds of different layers to that. <laughs> yes. And it is so, I do think, like, uh, I think it is, I would be really confused at, like, what the fuck if I had a friend who wrote this, like, intensely romantic and yearning song like about my relationship yeah um i think it's a great song i think like it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a lot like this love like it's a bop for being in love totally how much use one has for that it it depends on Mm -hmm. that is kind of funny though like like (laughs) like your friend writes that about you and (laughs) also like i know like they're friends but like your friend and then she's like, oh, yeah, like, this is, like, like they're producing, they're working on the album together, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is about you and, <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> and if I were Lena Dunham, like, my jealous bitch would have been going. Totally. Going off. Totally. And then the last track uh, from the original record, New Romantics. Uh, I fucking love New Romantics. I love New Romantics. <laughs> I love it. I why wasn't it on the original like it is the it is one of the best songs on this on this album. Yeah. Like I, I was gonna say I see how thematically it doesn't fit the album that well, but then like Bad Blood is on the album. <laughs> if Exactly if you exactly. if you take Bad Blood off and put New Romantics on, nineteen eighty nine is deserving of <laughs> of of the kind of uh, praise that it gets. Yes. Strongly agree. I, yeah, I think it's an awesome fucking song. Great, great tune, great sound. Um, I like Taylor's writing. It's you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's theatrical and it's silly, but uh, it's um, I mean, her vocal performance on it is really great too. You sort of see like we talk about how there's songs on here where like she doesn't have the vocal maturity to sell it all the way. This is one where she can go, she can go low, she can go high, she can play it all. Yeah. So, 1989 comes out. It's an even bigger hit than Red. Best-selling album of 2014. Third best-selling album of the decade. At the time, well-received by critics. Not initially seen as, like, this masterpiece that some people call it today or called it a few years later. Um, It did win Album of the Year at the 2016 Grammys, beating out Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. My eyes just glaze. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just kind of. Sometimes you can just sit and think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I great album. Yeah, not better than to put It was wild at the time, but in hindsight, it's like goddamn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, this was a very transformative thing for Taylor. You know, her reputation changed, her public image changed, and then. In 2015, disgraced singer-songwriter Ryan Adams recorded a track-for-track cover of 1989, and it got a lot of praise from music critics like Pitchfork, who didn't even cover the original 1989, Uh, and that prompts a backlash from other critics who look at these kind of rockist publications and say you're biased against pop music. And that, that, that sort of spirals out into this big poptimist reclamation pro- I feel like that whole raucous poptimist thing was such, it was such a thing in music in the mid-2010s that it feels like such a distant memory now that- Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
that 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 pitchfork like has has gone fully in that direction and there's almost nowhere there's almost nowhere in like music criticism or like people talking about music where you still see people who are like who like deride pop music you know like the 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 poptimist one yeah yeah easily but uh there's this huge critical reappraisal and people start to really heap praise on 1989 and I think, uh, you know, Variety's Chris Willman named it his top album of the 2010s. Pace Ellen Johnson called it one of the best American pop albums of all time. I think in the last couple years, people have started to go, you know, we like Red more. We like folklore and some of the more recent stuff more. We probably oversold 1989. Yeah. W- which I think, which I think is really fair. I I think this album is better than Red. I think this album uh is it's not my favorite Taylor album, but I do think it I, I put it above a lot of her other albums, but at the same time it definitely is like far from perfect. I think it's it's accessible in a way. Like I think uh like there's a thing to Taylor's music that makes one a Taylor listener. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, like there's a thing and I think this is one where you can be super into Taylor Swift and there's a lot for you here or you can just really not not give a fuck and there's still there's still a bunch here and I think that's why it got so much credit but now it's not that rare of a thing mm-hmm. for a musician to to make an album that has a little bit of something for everyone uh, yeah think, yeah yeah I think um th- there are real moments of of brilliance on here again there are a couple songs on here that I think really are some of Taylor's best and some of her best produced. And I think this is the moment where she's the most comfortable it, because it's conceptually a pop album. It feels like after this, when you look at like reputation and lover, it's like she's doing pop, but she's getting back into her head about like, well, I have to have this type of song. I have to have this type of song in when you reach the folklore era. That's the point where it feels like she gets back to what she did on 1989, which is come up with a concept, come up yes. with a sound and just carry it all the way through. Yes. Yes, and it's almost like what it represents for Taylor, for her career, makes it this just uh, this epic album. Yeah, if if you only even if, it, even if, it's not like if you only studied one Taylor album, this would give you the most of her career. Yes, yes, exactly. In August of this year, she announced 1989 Taylor's version, her fourth re-recorded album. By that point, she'd already put out a couple of songs from it. She released The Wildest Dreams, Taylor's version, because the original was blowing up on TikTok in 2021. Um, Some of them appeared in trailers. This Love was in the trailer for The Summer I Turned Pretty. Bad Blood was in the trailer for DC League of Super Pets. Out of the Woods was in the trailer for uh, Migration, the forthcoming Illumination film. And um, the big thing with 1989... Taylor's version, conspicuously absent from it, and from all of the Taylor's versions so far, is Max Martin. There's a lot of speculation. No one knows why Max Martin's not there. Some people say his fee is too high. Some people say he's semi-retired. The fun theory that that uh, friend of the show Cassandra brought to our attention is that uh, there was some kind of falling out related to Max Martin's jukebox musical and Juliet which does not feature any Taylor Swift songs, and that <laughs> that might have caused a rift in their relationship. Which wouldn't surprise that wouldn't seem surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I'd like to believe it. <laughs> 
I, yeah, I think it's it's fun to believe, and I and I I I wouldn't be surprised. If... Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see how like Max Martin has the idea. I'm gonna do Romeo and Juliet, and it's gonna be all songs from my extensive catalog of pop hits. There's like five Taylor Swift songs that must have come into his head when he was when he was coming up with that. Yeah, exactly. The 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 re-release of 1989 received universal acclaim from critics. It broke several records, including Taylor's own record for single-day Spotify streams. And, uh, it's bad. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> we can kind of, like... It's, it's... In place of Max Martin, who she has is Christopher Rowe, who is this uh, country producer, isn't really a pop producer at all, is worked with, like, Rascal Flatts and Kenny Chesney and stuff, and especially on the songs that are most driven by their production, like Style and like uh, Shake It Off and like New Romantics, um, they just sound bad. Yeah, and there's really no other way to put it. Mm -hmm. I felt like... I felt like she didn't want to re-record it. Mm. I felt... Like, is it, is it the lore, you mm. know, whoever, like, whoever it's about, like, I think, I think it is, it's about some of her more significant relationships. Sure, and you think it might be too close to home. And I think that there's a bit of, like, like, she does get emotional, mm. like, about her songs. Sure. You know, and I, I think that, and I also think there's this thing of, like, this was the album of her career, and she knew she, she couldn't, she couldn't make it live up to mm. what it was. The frustrating thing is, like, she is much more talented musically now. Mm-hmm. So she's wrong to think that she couldn't make an album as good as 1989, especially when, with reflection, 1989 wasn't that great. So she could have used the reverb bring it up to its level, but instead she's like, yeah, fuck it. There are definitely the songs like Style, where it's like, this is really hard to match. The songs like Out of the Woods and Wildest Dreams, where it's just like, these have such a vibe and were such a moment that like, trying to recreate that would be really hard. But there are a lot of songs on this album that do have room for improvement, like Bad Blood, where, and and people talk about this, how it's like the the most interesting of the re-recordings so far, because there are songs where she's doing things differently, and up until now, she's essentially been trying to do the same thing. But, like, if she wasn't so precious about them, if if she was doing this re-release thing from an artistic point of view, she could do a lot more with it. And instead, she's—I I feel like the whole project is too commercial and too, like, we just need to have a version of, of this same song that people can go and use for, for movie trailers. Exactly. It kills it. Exactly. There's— focus on just really wanting to replace the first body of work which like yeah i get that Mm -hmm. but it results in like kind of like there's not a ton of creativity you know you want it to reflect your growth yeah and i think there are things that have been like general problems with the the re-records but are just like more front and center on this because there's things with like you know her delivery is more mature and a little less like enunciated, a little less theatrical, which like on her older stuff, it adds this kind of interesting new layer. Cause it's like, you know, because yeah. she, she, she was in such a different place when she, but, but in, the, in this middle ground point, it just kind of loses a, a lot of the like fun, like, like the playfulness of, of 1989. It feels like there's less passion going into it. I mean, it was also like, like when she was making 1989, like she was 
don't want to say like fighting for her life, but she was hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, like she was, she was like, this album is going to like, it can make me a superstar. Mm-hmm. And you, there's no urgency on the re-record. And what makes the the messiness of the original version okay is just how hungry it is. Mm-hmm. Like just how much she wants what she thinks and what the album will bring her. Mm-hmm. You don't get that on the re-record. Blank space, kind of a problem. It It's not disastrous, but it's like if this was the version that came out in 2014, it would not have hit like the original did. Yep. Just like there's the drums are not as hard, the the synths are not as hard. It's it's just like too muted. Style terrible because it's not it, it's not just like t- taking su- such an immaculate pop song and having someone who doesn't make pop music <laughs> try to recreate it. It's also like she's not selling the emotion of the song as 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 hard as she does on the first like so much of this album is just like how much rawness and how much performance she's putting into it and and on songs like style this is totally lost on on the recording precisely out of the woods is an antonoff track and jack antonoff has like improved as a producer since then so i think there are some kind of interesting uh differences it it, uh shake it off the beat is even less sick on this one (laughs) like (laughs) like 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 you get to the this sick beat part and it's like they don't even do the claps they don't like the drums are so muted it's like you practically took out the beat (laughs) it's so bad uh, and the and the horns are like practically not there on on this version. Like like shake it off really suffers the most. I think. Yeah, it really, it really messes. The thing with all the re recordings is like they're trying to make the Taylor Swift saga more cohesive, and make like you know she's obviously had all these experimental eras and is trying to kind of make them all sound of a piece more. And with with the songs that are these weird missteps like Bad Blood, it's like, okay, this sounds a little more consistent with other Taylor Swift songs, but it's still Bad Blood. Yeah. 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 Wildest Dreams, uh, Taylor's more mature vocals work well with it. I'm never the person who's complaining about the mixing on an album, but when I'm comparing it to another version of the same album, and the mixing is so much worse on this one, it's hard to ignore. Really hard to ignore. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I know places. Sometimes where it sounds like there's like like water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's just like so. Uh, it, it's one where it's like this is like actually feels like someone made a mistake. Yeah. The the, the further you get into the album, the more it's before the vault tracks. The more it's like, what it what what was happening? <laughs> like where they did they not listen to this? Precisely. Clean is i i think is i think the the clean remake is pretty good they brought image and heat back she's bringing some new sounds to it it feels uh i i don't know i like the same way i listened to clean for the first time and it's like oh this is interesting i feel like the the this version kind of recaptures that yeah wonderland again really weird <laughs> vocal stuff on this one uh i, I it, it feels like they didn't expect anyone to actually listen to it and it's like a, a taylor swift album so i don't it's very bizarre yeah it's another one where it's just like what were you thinking mm-hmm. the new romantics is really bad like like they they add this guitar thing on the breakdown after the hook and like they they i don't know it, it just they made 
because because with some of the songs like style it's like they were trying to do the same thing and they just had like a a less competent producer doing it with new romantics it's like they added new shit that's bad (laughs) on top of like not doing the old shit well Uh, very frustrating it was supposed to be the like it was also supposed to make new romantics at its flowers like i was like new romantics is finally getting the love it deserves and then it and then it sucked yeah and it's another song where like taylor's just not selling it as much as she was in in 2014 and it just like kills the atmosphere a lot precisely so yeah uh in terms of like side-by-side comparison very few things i like about (laughs) about the taylor's version of 1989 pretty bad and then there are the vault tracks the vault tracks I, I don't know if I, how I feel about the whole vault track thing. Like, <laughs> sometimes it's like, maybe, maybe you like wrote a couple, a couple words of this back then, but like, they, they all sound so midnights that it's like, this is going to sound dated in three years, you know? Exactly. And it's just like, it's a really cool concept if it's real. Mm-hmm. For me, they're categories of vault tracks. You get things where, like, when Emma falls in love, I do believe that she wrote that, mm-hmm. and then it didn't end up on the album. You get, then in the middle, you get all too well, 10-minute version. I have a hard time believing that all of that was actually written. Mm-hmm. You know, I think she wrote a 10-minute version and then was pressured to release it, and the 10-minute version sucked. And so she filled in the blanks with, with lyrics that are just, like, more creative mm-hmm. from the voice of the person who wrote everything from the voice of the person who wrote stay 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 yeah you can you can tell where the line is exactly and then 1989 is the first one where the vault tracks i'm just like you didn't write this yeah in 2014 yeah didn't like you wrote and and then the lying about slut was gonna be the track like that is such bull it's not bull i've lost so much respect for her ability to curate a public image if she thought that that was when she she said that she was choosing between slut or blank space to be on the album no you fucking weren't (laughs) that wasn't happening i have a hard time believing that slut was existed to begin with Mm -hmm. before like i mean but i also want to believe it existed to begin with because if it's about travis kelsey like i'll shoot myself Mm -hmm. like but like, <laughs> like it's just like no, and then you get like I have a heart. Like I listen to them and they're fine and they sound very midnightsy, so they feel the most relevant right now. But um, suburban legend, I think specifically, like just is a, is on midnight. Like, yeah, it, the writing is the writing is so not nineteen eighty nine. Like, like just dropping it, like drop another album with these songs where it's like it, I'm not stupid. Like <laughs> I know you didn't write this. Yeah, ten years ago. Like, just make it on your album. Like, it's cool. Like, because I, I, I have to imagine she writes other songs for these albums that don't make the cut. But with so many of these, it's like, I can only imagine, like, she, she, like, had, had the tune. She, she wanted to make this song with this person. And then, like, as she's doing the re-release, she finds the old recording and she's like, oh, let me write lyrics for this. Like, it feels like, if you expect me to believe, and none of them melodically sound like 1989, the the, the, the lyrics don't sound like 1989, like, like she's gotta release the tapes if she wants us to, to buy that these are 1989 songs. 
Yes, she has to release the tapes. We need those demos. It's a good pull. And I found these vault tracks disappointing, too. Yeah, I, I find almost all of the vault tracks really boring, honestly. <laughs> I really like, didn't, because I also didn't feel like I was I was finding something new. Mm-hmm. And, and I also, like, I just wanted them to be juicier. Yeah, and it's like, even if you are, even if we assume that she is pretending to to make songs that she wrote for 1989, why not make them sound like 1989? <laughs> exactly, like, do the eras, like, the cool thing about this re-record is she's kind of, like, embracing this mentality she's had of designing an entire personality around music mm-hmm. she's making mm-hmm. which is like a like, crazy super like just a thing to, to quite the thing to do so lean into it and allow each time that you're making the album to be a time where you are revisiting the album which again it feels like she just didn't really want to re-record 1989 because she didn't go back to being in the 1989 era when she was making it yeah i buy that theory i think i think that makes a lot of sense and you know clearly like her heart is not in this one, even as much as some of the other re-records. Exactly. I I get why she's doing the Taylor's versions, and I get the, like... But I don't know, because there's the business sense behind it, and there's a, like, yes, she wrote these songs, she deserves to be, like, get, getting the royalties from them and have the ownership of them. But we did the episode on Monster Mash uh, back in October, and Bobby Pickett did a very mm-hmm. similar thing with Monster Mash in the 80s where he re-recorded the song to get around Universal, and then he could license it to, like, independent producers and studios and that sort of thing, like, for a lot cheaper than the studios would. It was basically a way to, like, you know, sneak it under from Universal. And I've heard a few stories like that, that I compare to what Taylor's doing, and it feels so much like it's just building her brand uh, when when she's already the biggest star in the world. And so much of, like, people listening to these albums, the songs getting on the radio, getting on the charts, it's all about, like, brand loyalty. A a lot of things about it rub me the wrong way. And there's something, that it it has the potential to be so empowering and so cool. Mm -hmm. And each record and everything she does just makes it more and more obvious that it's it's about, like, commercial. Yeah. Like, it's about capital, it's about making money. And, like, I'm like, yeah, like, you, like, fucking you like make a lot of money right like, it kind of also sucks because the the albums have this potential to be something so huge and, and, and special and instead they just feel kind of like i'm not trying to make more money yeah i i i she has every right to make money off her own music but there's a there's a lack of creativity that goes into these that annoys me exactly. more and more exactly and i think it was exposed particularly with 1989 mm-hmm. because it's a mature Taylor album. Mm-hmm. And all the before this really for me got away with like one being able to hear and see and feel how Taylor's grown up and two getting to listen to a new version of a song that like I was obsessed with as an eight year old mm. was just so special. Like, it was like that little, like what she represents, like that old Taylor, it was so special to so many people. And I think 1989 is special, but in its own way and in a really commercial way Mm -hmm. where they're just, there wasn't, there weren't those warm, fuzzy feelings. Yeah. I, I, around this album, it's 
that to what it is. Yeah, I think there's something that's just interesting on its face about the older Taylor albums, her as a 30-something, like, revisiting those. That's just, like, she doesn't have to put a lot of effort into that to make that interesting. With 1989, there's, again, a really pivotal moment for her in terms of maturity, and that's so much of what's interesting about the album is seeing her take this more mature direction, and now seeing her revisit that with little interest in actually recreating the spark of it or 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 anything like that is it it lays bare some of the problems with this whole project yes anyway i'll be i'll be very curious to see i haven't like listened to any of the other re-records all the way through i've listened to like individual tracks and sort of pieced it together um but i'll be very interested to see what she does with reputation (laughs) fascinating yeah that's for another episode yeah exactly exactly brig it's always a pleasure to have you on thank you so much for joining me again you know thank you for having me uh this has been a great talk um what are we walking away with here i feel like 1989 i is still i have a lot of respect for it as an album uh i hold it highly in taylor's catalog has some of my favorite songs of her career really not happy with the taylor's version of it uh, and I think it's definitely messier than I remember also. Uh, but uh, that's how it is. Yep. Nailed it. It's, that's exactly it. And thank you to everyone who's been watching, who's been listening rather, uh, hopefully not watching, <laughs> uh, as well. If you like the show, you can rate or follow or whatever it is, wherever you're listening to it. It's on wherever podcasts are, uh, and you can share it with your friends, let people know you like the show. That's one of the best things you can do. As I said, I'm taking December off, and after that, we will get to the Movie and Music Awards in January. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree, Gary.